Art of the Assistant. Brought to you from the hills of almost heaven, West Virginia. A podcast created to encourage and assist those who are sitting in the second chair of their ministries and organizations. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for joining the podcast. Art of the Assistant Pastor. And man, we're excited today. Um, to have our guest, Pastor Phil Johnson, on with us. We've been planning this, honestly, for a couple of years now, and it's finally been able to come to pass. Phil, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah, this is, this is exciting. And and we think about assistant pastors, you know, you guys, you've heard us talk, but so often this is an idea of a stepping stone or somebody will walk into the role of an assistant and, and then be gone after a few years or they want to become a real pastor. And Phil has been a pastor there and been working with Pastor MacArthur for, he was telling us going on 40 years. And so, Phil, if you could just kind of tell us a little bit about your background. I know you have some children because on Twitter, we see your grandchildren all the time. And you love those granddaughters of yours. And just kind of give us a little background of you, how you ended up at Grace and and how that's how that's morphed into the position you have now with Grace to you and, and what you're doing there. All right. Yeah, I uh, I am married to uh, Darlene, and we've had we had three sons, all grown now. The youngest is also the tallest in our family. He's a, a policeman with the LAPD. The middle one is a tax accountant, and the eldest works here at Grace to You. He's kind of following in my footsteps, doing editorial work and so on. And my background is uh, first of all in Christian publishing. I after I became a Christian, or almost as soon as I became a Christian, I knew uh, that I wanted to, I wanted to devote my life somehow to the Lord's service. I was a senior in high school when I was converted uh, a month away from graduation. And um, so I thought, I want to learn something about scripture and ministry. And it was in the back of my head, I think, that I was preparing to be a pastor. I was looking at seminaries and all that. I went to Moody Bible Institute graduated from there. And when I graduated, I thought, I'll go to seminary and become a pastor. But I, uh, I, in my last summer school session at Moody, I took a job as a proofreader at Moody Press and uh, sort of got into the process of publishing and loved it so much that I, by the end of that summer, I was thinking, I don't know that I'm called to be a pastor, but I could do this for the rest of my life, edit books, read theology. It was, it was like a dream job. And uh, I enjoyed it. And I think if you'd, if you'd asked me at that point, what are your plans? I would have said, I, I, I'll probably be in Christian publishing for the rest of my life. And in a way I have been, but um, within a year or two, I, I heard John MacArthur for the first time. He, I'd never heard of him. I'd never heard uh, even his name, as I recall, and uh, he came to Moody to speak to the students, and um, and I sort of stumbled into the student chapel, and it, it, just in order to be able to sit with Darlene, we were dating at the time, uh, <laughs> but when John began to teach, I, I just, I, I thought, I've never heard anybody speak with such power, and so clearly biblical, and I thought, he needs to be writing books, you know, he needs an editor, uh, and then Darlene and I got married. We moved to Florida, where I was literally an assistant pastor for three years. Uh, and in the providence of God, the month we moved to Florida, we, we, we you know, newlyweds thinking of raising a family, and I was doing editorial work, which I could have done 
from anywhere in the country. So we picked an area where we knew there was a church with expository preaching and yeah. moved there. And uh, I ended up becoming assistant pastor in a church in the area. But as in the providence of God, the month we moved to Florida was the launch of Grace to You on the radio. Hmm. Uh, and Tampa Bay was one of the first three areas in the United States that carried John MacArthur. I, I think I started listening the oh. week the broadcast premiered. And again, every time I heard him speak, I thought he needs to be writing books. This material is so rich wow. and so biblical. It needs to be preserved in written form. Um, I mean, he was in California. I'm in Florida. I had no hope of ever even meeting him. But every time I heard him preach, I would fantasize about what a joy it would be <laughs> to take his sermons and help him put those in book form. Wow. And ultimately, it was Moody Press that put us together. I didn't ask for it. It just came out of the blue one day after I'd been three years in an assistant pastor's role. I got a phone call from Jerry Jenkins, who was in charge of Moody Press at the time. And he said, we're about to do this uh, long-term project with John MacArthur to do a series of commentaries through the the New Testament. It's the MacArthur New Testament Common Series now that's complete. Uh, at the wow. time, Jerry Jenkins said, this is the biggest project we've ever done, and we expect it to take us 10 years. And he was overwhelmed hmm. by that. It ended up taking 30 years, uh, <laughs> but it was that project wow. that sort of got me connected with John. I, I flew up to Chicago to have a meeting with John and the editorial staff at Moody and met him for the first time. And uh, I, And my first conversation with him went like this. I said, I've been listening to you every day on the radio. I'm a youth pastor and assistant pastor dealing with a youth group full of kids who I don't think are soundly converted. And I'm listening to your material on First John, and you need to do a book on the lordship issue. And he said, mm. I intend to do that. He said, I even have a title in mind, The Gospel According to Jesus. Wow. And uh, he said, I, I know Moody wants to hire you to be their acquisitions editor. If they do that, you give me a call. We'll, we'll start that, the process on that book. And so that is what got us together, the gospel according to Jesus. We both had a passion for that project. And uh, I started working on it. And, you know, John said to me out of the blue one day after, after we'd worked together for about a year by long distance, he said, you should quit your job here and just come to work for me. Mm. And I said, Okay. Wow. <laughs> and literally 30 days later I, we were moving to california and wow. have been here ever since wow that's terrific that's terrific so so but were you directly involved then with the commentary series no that's the ironic thing that was that was what prompted moody to call me and see if i wanted to work with john macarthur but that's the only major project of john's publishing ministry that i really never had much to do with uh hmm. they had different editors working okay. on that over the years and uh wow. and i have worked with john on all the other books he's done okay so your first one was that got the gospel according to jesus no the first one that i ever edited was uh called uh the ultimate priority it's been it's been continually in print since 1983 and um but it's retitled worship with the subtitle the ultimate priority that was okay. my first project uh with john Wow. That's great. And you're continuing then. I mean, with all the books, you're still doing all the editing and we, the ones that come out. Them. Now my okay. son, uh, my eldest son has edited a few and uh, 
there've been other editors over the year that have, years that have done some of the minor books, but um, okay. yeah, the major hardcover adult nonfiction books I've done, I think virtually all of those. Wow. Um, and I'm still working on one now called the war on children that hmm. hopefully will be out sometime in 2023. That's terrific. That's, that is terrific. That's so needed today. That's great. So yeah. And then we have, you have the war on truth, right? So That's that right. Will... The truth war it's called. Truth War, yeah. Another War on Children. Good, good, good. So, so you're there. Did you, when you went then, uh, three years later and started working with um, Pastor MacArthur, did you go right into an assistant pastor role there or? No, actually, I came to work at Grace to You, uh, which okay. I still am. Actually, I'm not on the church staff. I am one of the teaching pastors at Grace Church, but I don't mm -hmm. get paid by the church. I'm a lay pastor. So, okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of a different role from the typical assistant pastor. I'm not technically an assistant mm -hmm. pastor anymore. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Now, Grace to You, does it have a separate building operation? Is everything right there at Grace Community or? No, uh, Grace to You, our offices are probably about 25 miles from the church. Okay. Okay. And is, uh, does Pastor MacArthur, does he do most of his work at the church? Does he work from home? He works from home. Uh, he does most of his study at home. He has an office here. He has an office at the seminary and he has an office at the church. I think he has an office okay. at the college still as well. Okay. Uh, so he's not here every day in our office, but he comes in when he's recording and sometimes has meetings over here. Okay. Very good. Very good. So when you said coming on as a teaching pastor, so teaching pastor there, you know, one of the questions I have, Phil, is how how church polity works with, with you all, with eldership, um, you know, some, we, we've gotten some feedback on where, you know, an assistant pastor isn't really a biblical role. And, and obviously, you know, as church history and things, we have elders and then we, you know, you hear more about bishops. You don't see much about the assistant bishop or things like that. Where, where does an assistant pastor come in? And let's say that at Grace, if you are an assistant pastor and an elder and it comes time to rotate off as an elder. Do the pastor stay on? How does all of that work? And, and biblically, how do you see that? Is, is there an assistant pastor? Should we all just be pastor elders? What, what do you see with that? Yeah, I mean, if, you're, if you want to be a strict biblicist and say, well, there's no, no one had that title in the New Testament, that may be true. But it's also clear that uh, the Apostle Paul, for example, traveled with a, with a small group of assistants. He didn't have mm -hmm. just one. And in fact, towards the end of his life, uh, when he was really suffering, he writes and says, only Luke is with me. He's down to one assistant, and it's Luke. And, uh, mm -hmm. and he says, you know, send Mark because he's useful to me. So um, that my only aspiration, like I said, I'm not called assistant pastor, although I am a pastor at Grace Church who assists John MacArthur. So I'm functioning okay. in, in that role. But I'm not interested in the title. Uh, what I'm interested in is I want I want the, the John and the rest of the elders at Grace Church to think of me as useful, mm. like Mark. That's good. Mm. That's that's really good. And and so for the guys the guys that are out there, um, and and so in that one of the things we want to encourage them with is, hey, let's be useful. So what are some ways that, that these young guys as, as they're there? Let's say you were there, that youth pastor for three years, and sometimes they feel like, hey, I'm, 
I'm babysitting these kids and, and that's all I'm accomplishing. What are some things these, these young men as they're stepping into this ministry as an assistant role could do that you would say, Hey, this is, this is useful in ministry and for your pastor. Well, um, for me, the category would be very broad. I would say anything that's useful and it depends on the church, the church where I had the title assistant pastor in Florida was a fairly small church by, at least by Grace Church's standards. Uh, that entire church membership, I think, was probably less than 400. Uh, and, and so uh, leading the youth group was only part of my responsibilities. I, I did a host of things from janitorial work to, you know, mowing the parking lot, because the parking lot was a grass empty lot across the street from the church. And, and one of my jobs was to mow it every week. Uh, and I would do whatever was necessary, painting, you know, teaching, just everything. It, you have to be a kind of jack of all trades in a situation like that. And frankly, most churches, the vast majority of churches are just like that. If they're large enough to have um, more than one staff person, the senior pastor, then the assistant is probably going to have a, a plethora of responsibilities that they don't teach you about in seminary. Yes. <laughs> and you have to be willing to do that. Like I mm -hmm. said, the main goal is to be useful. That's good. That's good. No, no, there's no job that can't hit that job description. Or sometimes you feel like you're with a wheelbarrow and you just got to go pick it up and do it. But that's that's your role. Yeah. And and to get that done. That's great. So coming on then at Grace and and working, how is your relationship um with Pastor MacArthur? How has that changed over the years? You know being there 40, 40 years and from an assistant, but that, that has to be a friend too, which I know he just, he leans on you and has to lean on you a lot. And, and how, how has that relationship just developed over the years? Yeah. I mean, there's a large dose of friendship in it. Obviously there has to be. And uh, I've always, uh, you know, I, I was drawn to his teaching the first time I ever heard him because I love the way he thinks. I love the way he teaches and, mm. uh, I think we share a lot of the same, in fact, virtually all of the same convictions and interests and, and likes, and that's important. I think there's a chemistry there that you can't manufacture. It just, it, it was the providence of God who put us together. I've never, I've never thought differently because I used to fantasize about doing this when there was literally no hope in my heart that I would ever have the opportunity and, and the Lord sovereignly made it happen. And I look back on it now, 40 years later and say, you know, I'm simply doing what I was born to do, what God designed me to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I don't, I, there are probably not many people who could step into that role and do it certainly the way I would do it, but uh, it's just, it, it's worked well. It's changed. You asked how it's changed over the years. Um, it's, it's changed slowly. Um, not 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 in monumental changes but just by growth i when i came um my job was simply i was a staff person at grace to you assigned to my my first responsibility was to answer uh biblical questions that came in from listeners so there's a oh, wow. there's a pastoral element in that you have to have the working knowledge of biblical truth and doctrine and be able to answer people's questions and and in my case, since I'm answering on behalf of John MacArthur's ministry, I have to know how he would answer it and answer mm. it accordingly. Uh, and I look back on that now and think 
I wish my life were so simple now. Over the years, I've added responsibilities. I, mm-hmm. I didn't teach or preach in any venue larger than a home Bible study for the first decade that I was here. Uh, so I haven't always been a, a, a teaching elder either. Mm. Um, it, it just it was it was actually Lance Quinn who goaded me into teaching, wow. and, um, and it turned out I liked it, and people responded. So that that was just another dimension sort of added to my duties. Where now I do a whole lot of speaking, and that's uh, if I travel, it's usually to speak somewhere. Yeah. The first fifteen years I was here. If I traveled, it was mostly on grace to you business. I didn't do a public mm-hmm. ministry or anything on the road, but so. So were you satisfied? What? Were, were you satisfied in that role when you first came and it was like, I'm, I'm not the guy up front. I'm not the face. I'm just, I'm answering Bible questions. This, this yeah. is what I do. Were you content in that? Totally content. And in fact, like I said, it was Lance Quinn who goaded me into teaching. I, I, wasn't one of these people who just had a craving to preach. And I mean, I would now because I've done it enough to think, hmm. you know, there's enough in me that wants to come out in the form of preaching, but I didn't actually feel that for the first couple of years, I was perfectly satisfied doing what I was doing. And I think, I think it takes a unique kind of person to want to, to, to really aspire to that role as assistant. I had no interest in being the front man. I, I, if I had my choice, I would have stayed anonymous all of these years. I don't particularly want to be the guy up front and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm too afraid I'm going to embarrass myself, I guess, <laughs> I know. but I've never had this desire to be, you know, the guy who gets credit. Uh, so that's just the way I'm wired. It's, I'm not, I'm not, you know, that's so good. That's it. really good. No, that's that when you're when you're talking, and I know be careful with how we take these verses, but I keep thinking, you know, a man's gift makes room for him out of Proverbs. And it just you can just see that Phil, as you're talking. Listen, this is this is just God taking the gifts and the abilities that He's given to you and and just open the doors for you step by step. And and even as even with your speaking and you know, and praise the Lord that um and I saw that in you and you're doing that today. I know that adds a lot to your plate, but man, the Lord's used you mildly in those areas, but these are just gifts. And, and I think for the, our listeners say, guys, look, it's, it's important for you to know your gifts and abilities and how God's gifted you. Cause it, it's cliche, but you know, you find what you love and you, you don't work a day of your life, but it sounds like you just, how God's opened these doors it's, it's the gifts and that's what you love to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and things keep adding that I would not have anticipated or sought. Um, you know, I'm now the, the host on the radio broadcast. If you had mm-hmm. told me 40 years ago, I'd be the voice introducing John MacArthur on the radio, I would have said, I mean, that's a frightening thought. I would have said, that's not what I want to do mm-hmm. and where I want to go, but that would be fun. And, you know, sort of like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I look back on it now and yeah, it is fun. And I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have pushed for that role, but I do enjoy it. And, uh, so. Yeah. In, in our area, um, uh, uh, mine and Treg's area of, of the country, you know, you mentioned the, the church in Florida being a small church of uh, around 400, um, 400 would be a large church in, in our area, just population wise and everything like that. 
Um, so when an assistant pastor, and I would say in many places around the country, an assistant pastor uh, would be in that 400 or less or even 200 or less uh, congregation. And so they don't have the opportunity to be very targeted in, in, in their role. Um, and in a larger ministry, you would have someone who's taking care of the music, someone who is, is over this you know, specific area of ministry. So uh, when you were working in Florida or even uh, at Grace to You over the years, ha- has there ever been an area that this is outside of my toolbox? This is, this is not um, who I am, what I'm skilled for. And if, if so, how did you work in or work out of, uh, of that uh, job? Yeah, good question. I'm thinking as you're asking, was there ever any responsibility that sort of came to me and I, and I had to try to dodge it because I, I wasn't gifted for it or didn't particularly want to do it? And the answer is yes. In that first role, one of the things that was expected of me was that I would be the lead guy heading up the Awana program in that church. Hmm. And uh, I wasn't, I wasn't really prepared or good to do that. So I found somebody who really wanted to do it and basically delegated the, the mm. role to him. So mm. uh, that worked out well. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And I, I kind of do the same thing here. Obviously, I'm, I'm n- now I am the executive director at Grace to You. So I'm in charge of the entire thing. We have like 50 employees. Uh, and I'm the only one who has no skills, you know, if it <laughs> would run perfectly well without me, uh, I don't know anything about, you know, recording and editing sound. And I, I mean, I can, I can do a hack job at it, but I, you know, all the, all the technical details, all the actual hands-on work that has to be done has to be done by somebody who knows better than I do what they're doing. So um, you know, that it's nice to be in a position where I can actually hire people to do the stuff that I, I don't feel competent to do. But on the other hand, like I said, from the beginning, that my main desire is to be useful. So if something needs to be done, if I can do it, I will. That's I, I've never complained that, oh, that's beneath me, you know. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. That's, that's really good. And, and so one of the things, Phil, to, to try to balance is, I think, with the assistance is how, how much time should they spend with the pastor? You know, we, we're talking about mentoring. Hey, you need to learn from the pastor and, and gather from him. But at the same time, we need to respect the pastor's time and not always be in there. And, you know, I think about my first ministry, and I don't know how the pastor was so patient with me. And, you know, I'd walk in with a cup of coffee and sit down across from his desk and we talked for a couple of hours. And it was great for me because I'm learning, you know, as a 22 year old. And at that time he was 65. And so maybe he had a little more time to pour into me at that age. But I, I think now if somebody did that to me, I'd have to ask him to leave. I need you know, take your coffee elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for our guys, you know, where, where's a balance? And, you know, we want to be useful behind the scenes, but, you know, communication with the pastor's essential. So how much time do you spend where, where you would just, I mean, communication wise, do you call, you know, Pastor MacArthur and say, Hey, listen, just so you know, this is going on or is an email sufficient where, you know, and I'm sure that's changed over the years too. Um, but what's, what's key in keeping communication there or, and also being able to learn and, and from them. 
Yeah, that's one of those things that absolutely depends on the personality of the person you're trying to be a servant to. Uh, because some some men love to have that mentoring time. I mean, you look at Mark Dever. I, I don't think I've ever seen him without an intern right next to him. He he loves to train guys and pour his life into them and devote them his time and you know let them preach in the pulpit when he's not there. And yeah. uh, he he's he's the sort of consummate. Uh, um, he was just there. I saw pick. He was just out there with you. Or stopped by. Yeah, and he had right. an intern with him. You know, and I would have thought it weird if he didn't, because I've never mm. seen Mark without uh, at least one or two guys tagging around, watching everything he does. Mm. He's constantly instructing them. That's his personality, and and it's so strong in his personality. I don't know anybody else like him who will devote that much time to their interns and assistants. Yeah. Uh, and that's why young guys love him. They learn a lot from him and all that. John MacArthur's at the opposite end of the spectrum, and and um, and I'm okay with that. I don't I don't demand a whole lot of his time. Uh, if if I have to have a conversation with him, my goal usually is to keep it as short as possible, just to guard his time. And normally, uh, five questions for him or whatever. I are are I think most common means of communication is by text message okay. but but john is as extreme uh, unusual in his way as mark dever is in his it, there aren't mm -hmm. there's not i don't know many people like john macarthur and yeah uh, so it's an unusual situation and you have to read it the the pastor i was involved with for three years in florida was similar to what you described he was 65 years old i was a kid in my 20s and i had lots of questions and and uh you know, he was, he was gracious to me in, in answering questions. Uh, his, his answers to my questions weren't always as helpful as I'd wished. Uh, and it was pretty clear that he didn't necessarily want to spend as much time with me as I was willing to spend with him. Mm, yeah. But, uh, you know, as a, as a person now who's past 65, I certainly understand that. I don't, I don't need a 20 year old to sit in my office with a cup of coffee asking me questions for hours either so uh, so all of that is to say i don't i don't think there's a across the board answer to the question you're asking it's like yeah. any other relationship you have to you have to learn the person what they like what they do what their idiosyncrasies are and shape your relationship accordingly that's great that's really good what uh, what do you think the benefits are of being a long-term assistant in one place? Uh, well, I like the stability of it. I, I just like the fact that I, I'm comfortable with what I do. I, I know what I'm doing. Uh, I've done it for years. And, and so it would be traumatic for me to have to uproot and start over somewhere at my age. Mm. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, there are obvious benefits staying the same place uh, for a long time, uh, just from John MacArthur's perspective. Uh, there was a time within maybe 15 years after I came here where it, there was a serious possibility that he would leave Grace Church and and go. He was he was being actually recruited to become the next president of Moody Bible Institute. Mm -hmm. so it was a possibility that he would end up in Chicago and I would go back there with him. Uh, hmm. And I'm glad that never happened. Uh, 
it, it, because it gave him the opportunity to stay and continue what he was doing. And, and by doing that, preach through the entire New Testament, every single verse, hmm. which is an achievement that, you know, very few men in this era uh, will ever accomplish. Uh, so, but that longevity, it means he is, he is literally now pastoring people who are the great grandchildren of people he pastored the first year he came here. Hmm. He's been here 54 years. So, wow. So uh, there is, there's obvious benefits in that kind of continuity. You get to know people and they get to know you and it's just easier to be efficient. Um, so mm. I, I think one of the, one of the real uh, difficulties of our era in the evangelical movement is the short uh, lifetime of uh, the typical pastor. The tenure of the average pastor these days is, I'm, uh, my understanding is it's like two years or less. Wow. Uh, and hmm. it's hard to see how you could possibly get to know the sheep in your flock in that amount of time and and really have a sustained ministry to them. Hmm. Yeah, even, you know, even where we are, just community. I mean, I've been the pastor here eight years now, and it's almost taken eight years for people, for me to get to know people in the community and then me yeah. and to see that build. It just takes time. And I'm thinking, man, if I left and had to do this all over again, it would be it'd be rough. Yeah. Right. It'd be rough. So, so as an assistant too, I think, you know, to be the kind of assistant that the pastor wants to keep for 40 years, Hey, I don't, I don't want to lose this guy. And I think the key word you've been saying to is useful. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, just be useful, make him want to, to not lose you, make him want to hold on to you, make that a rough day. If you come and say, Hey, the Lord's leading me on. Mm. Right. And find ways, I guess, find ways to say, well, I don't feel like I'm being useful. Well, find ways to become useful to him or to the ministry in, in that regard. And I think that's something that, that all these guys listening should go, should, 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 you know, and implement in their ministry. So, so an assistant pastor, 25 years old, you all, obviously you have the seminary and how essential is it for these young men to pursue education? Let's say they, they finish an undergrad, they're working with a pastor, um, how, how would you encourage these guys, hey, go on and pursue education or just get into books? What, what would be your advice to them? And I may be the wrong person to ask because I have a bachelor's degree from Moody Bible Institute and, and uh, always wanted to go to seminary, but I never had a chance. So well, that's, why exactly, I'm, that's why I'm asking you. <laughs> I've taken exactly one seminary course in my entire career. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, just because of the way the Lord has led me and, and, uh, shaped my gifts and responsibilities, it, it hasn't really hindered my ministry, but, uh, nevertheless, I, I strongly recommend young guys to go to seminary because it, not that it equips you to be a pastor because it will help equip you to be a pastor, but. I think it's a mistake a lot of young guys make when they graduate from seminary, they think now they're the expert and they haven't even begun to learn what's involved in being a pastor. But what seminary does do is give you the tools you're going to need uh, to study the word and, and, and devote your whole life to learning. I've had two pastors uh, in my entire Christian life. The, my very first uh, long-term pastor was Warren Wiersbe. He was my pastor for all the years I lived in Chicago. Oh. And then 
John MacArthur. And both of them are known for expository preaching. Theologically, they're very different. Uh, even their approach to preaching is very different. But I learned from both of them. Uh, and um, uh, hmm. one of the things I learned from Wearsby that I have carried on is learning is a lifelong process, not something you can knock out in three years in seminary or even nine years in seminary. Uh, but what seminary does is teach you the skills you need to be a lifetime student. And um, uh, so most of what I know, I've learned either from, well, mostly from books. I mean, yeah. because I'm in publishing, I read a lot and, and uh, that's been helpful. But but I have to say the most valuable things I've learned have been through experience by watching John MacArthur, learning from him, mm -hmm. listening to him, uh, you know, seeing what he does. And he, he's, he's the product of four generations of pastors prior to him. So he would, I think, also say, though I've never actually asked him to answer this question, but I think he would probably say that he learned far more by watching his father and, mm -hmm. you know, hands-on experience than he ever could have learned in seminary yeah yeah that's good that is good so talking about reading then and in the plethora of books that you have at your disposal but let's just stick with with books that you've helped uh pastor macarthur write as young guys are listening and man they want to they want to read one of these books what, what would be, if you would say, hey, if you guys are going to read any of these books, take these top three, obviously, Gospel According to Jesus. I love the Gospel According to Paul. I thought that was a great, I thought it was just a great book. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, what, what would be some books you would highly recommend, Phil, to these guys as, as they sit down and, and want to dive into some books from John MacArthur? My three favorite John MacArthur books are still some of his earliest, The Gospel According to Jesus. Obviously, that is probably his best-known polemical work, and it is, it is the book that over the years, by far, we get more letters from people who say, I read that, and as a result, uh, I, was, I realized that I wasn't genuinely converted, and now <laughs> I am. So that book has been used by the Lord, I think, to bring a lot of people into the faith. Uh, and I love that book, though, because that was as I described, that my first encounter with John MacArthur was about that book. Yeah. Uh, and then probably the book that had the greatest lasting impact on how I perceive ministry philosophy and, and it shaped what I do would be Ashamed of the Gospel. Yeah. That's the book that gave me a love for Spurgeon. Uh, I wasn't particularly interested in Spurgeon until uh, I started wow. editing ashamed of the gospel and realized that what Spurgeon dealt with in his era is exactly the kinds of church problems we're dealing with today. Uh, and I, that, that has to be probably my number one favorite book by John MacArthur, hmm. ashamed of the gospel. That's and great. then uh, the, probably the book that had the most profound impact on my spiritual life is the vanishing conscience. Uh, it's a book about sanctification and the threat modern culture poses to Christians as we absorb culture in a culture that is increasingly losing any sense of conscience or right and wrong. How do we pursue sanctification? Uh, and that's a great book, Vanishing Conscience. That's great. 
Stop three. Dan, did you get those? Put those on your list. I did. I wrote them down there. Um, You know, I I listen. I listen to a lot of books. And um, how how has that changed at Grace to You in in doing, um, you know, audible uh, versus, um, you know, the written? um, When did you start that? And I'm I'm just curious on your thoughts on that because I I feel like that we're kind of behind um, behind the times uh, in in getting some of those books out there for those of us that are audible learners. <laughs> yeah, um, I can just tell you my personal perspective is if I want to listen to to John MacArthur's teaching. I just want to hear his sermons. The books are edited by some clown like me, and some of the punch goes out of it. You know, when when somebody's just reading a script, uh, I want to hear him preach. Uh, and I have a problem with audiobooks trying to listen to them. My mind wanders. It'll spark a thought, and I and I'm thinking about it, and and I lose my place in the audiobook. So I can't really listen very profitably to books while I'm driving because. My mind, you know, wants to pause the sound and it doesn't pause. If you're reading a book and you want to think about a paragraph, you can stop and do it and pick up where you left off. If Mm. somebody else is reading it to you, they're going to pass you by. So I don't get as much out of audio books as I do actual reading books. But also I'm at that age where if I read, I tend to fall asleep. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. So I have I have actually started listening to more audiobooks and and uh, you know I, I think that it's it's one of many things about the internet era that is changing the way we learn and the way we do things. We do things more in sound bites. We communicate mm. more by Twitter than we do. We don't even do blogs anymore. Mm. We just put these little sound bite things out there. And I, I don't know that that's a good development. I I I don't think there's any way to reverse it and and get back to doing what our ancestors did. But I, I do know that we tend to learn in much more superficial ways. And hmm. to me, listening to an audiobook is is probably going to give you a more superficial grasp of what it's saying than if you actually read the pages yourself. Hmm. So I'm not a huge fan of audiobooks. Yeah. Okay. You guys don't building off of that. You know, I, I tell people with, with grace to you ministries and with RC Sproul, I felt like you both were way ahead of your time mm-hmm. when it came to getting the cassette tapes out there and in the videos and, and RC with the VHS tapes, getting those out. And, and you guys have just, you've just morphed with time and, and how is, how important it is again, going back to what you said, being useful, but, but going with what Dan said, just staying up with the times yeah, from the app and, and things like this and getting that out there. Yeah, that, that's a classic example where my, my approach has been to hire people who know what they're doing with those. I recognize the importance of advancing technology, but I can't keep up with it anymore. I was actually the first person I know to own a personal computer. I started getting into computers in the early 80s before... <laughs> IBM even released their first personal computer. Uh, so I was, there was a time when I was sort of on the cutting edge of technology, but now I can't keep up with it anymore. So I hire people that do, but that's a high priority for us here at Grace to You because everything we do is driven by media. 
the internet tapes. Mm -hmm. We don't even use tapes much anymore. Right. Uh, we went through CDs really fast and now that's old technology. So mm. uh, the vast majority of people who are listening to John MacArthur's sermons now are downloading it off the internet. And, yeah. and, uh, and I'm, I'm glad about that. It's a great use of the internet and, and the audio format. Uh, but which the quality when you when you listen to a sermon off the app um, uh, or from the Grace U website, um, the the quality of the audio from nineteen you know seventy something, I'm always amazed. Like, wow, this sounds so much up to date. Sounds like you preached it last week, not thirty years ago. Yeah, no, I know that. In fact, we're about to broadcast again. Uh, recording of the very first sermon John ever preached at Grace Community Church. Oh. It's, a, it's a sermon called How to Play Church. It's on Matthew chapter 7, and uh, it's still one of the, one of, uh, one of the great all-time John MacArthur sermons when you realize that was the first sermon he ever preached as a pastor. It's, it's really stunning. Hmm. Uh, and of course, his voice is higher pitched. He yelled a lot more, and he talked <laughs> a lot faster. You can tell this is an old message, uh. but you're right. The the sound quality is remarkably good. Now, some of that is uh, because it's been through processing that removes background noise and stuff like that. I, when I first came here, there was a uh, th there was a real difficulty with the sound in the auditorium because uh, the auditorium at Grace Church was built uh, to accommodate um, a uh, a balcony, which has never been put in, and so the the rear walls if you look out from the pulpit towards the walls they're all equidistant and uh they're just flat walls stone <laughs> walls and so the sound as it echoes comes back to the microphone all in one big thud and uh <laughs> trying to baffle that echo was a real problem for us because we here at grace to you wanted that echo silenced so that you could hear John's words as clearly as possible. But the music department was like, no, that echo actually helps <laughs> us. So right. we had a kind of running contest over, are we going to kill the echo or are we going <laughs> to enhance it? Or, finally got it fixed to everybody's satisfaction. But some of those older tapes had to be processed. Uh, there, now you can take out an echo like that sort of electronically. And so mm. we did all that and cleaned up the sound. And so they actually sound better than the original recordings would have. Hmm. So do you all, do you still have an archives? Do you still have closets with cassette tapes in them, Phil, and CDs, or have you guys gotten rid of all that? No, no, we keep them. Uh, the, I mean, we don't have as many as we used to. But we have masters. And in fact, the original tape recordings were on reel-to-reel -reel tape. And those are kept somewhere, I'm not sure, in a in a vault that's humidity controlled and all that so that they don't age so that we have them. I don't, I don't know what we'll ever do with them because they've all been digitized now and we use digital masters for everything, even the older messages, but we do still have the original masters. Wow. So I have, a, I have a buddy that his, his desires to have all of John MacArthur's sermons on CD. Are those available even today? Could he do no. that? Uh, no, but he could do it because all of John's sermons are downloadable, and if he burns right. his own CDs, he could he could make them. There you go. Just time to make them. He can he can get it that way. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. So so Phil, these young guys coming out coming out of college, you know, going in um, to the role of an assistant. What's just some words of encouragement, edification, um, 
and and just a challenge to them as as they're coming in. You know, we we are just we're in a different day, and right. the challenges that we're facing, the challenges they're going to face with this younger generation, not knowing who they are, are they you know a cat, a human. Um, what are just some words you have to encourage these young well, men? There's more than one group of people like that. So there are some guys who maybe like me would be content to be an assistant and in a, in a behind the scenes role for the rest of your life. And my word to them is bless you and be as useful as you possibly can. There are a lot of assistant pastors also though, who are in a kind of hands-on learning role and they anticipate and, and desire to become a senior pastor someday. My advice to them is just be patient and make the best of this opportunity you have as an assistant to learn as much as you can and, and don't ever, don't ever set you up yourself up as competition for the pastor, no matter how mm. bad he is, you know, mm. uh, because I know there are situations like that where maybe, maybe the assistant is better trained and younger, more energetic and all that. But if you, if you use your role as an assistant to try to dethrone the other guy, you, you're not going to be happy with the outcome. Yeah. Uh, so be patient and let the Lord, you know, let the Lord direct your steps rather than you forcing your way ahead. That's wonderful. And then before we go, I just one thing you said earlier as we were talking that the church size really hasn't changed in the 40 years you've been there. And, you know, for 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 some listening, they're going to be coming from backgrounds. that It's all about numbers growing the church. So so for 40 plus, well, if, if Pastor MacArthur has been here 50 plus years and the church has always been the same size, it's like, I mean, what drives him if, if he's going out? Is it just that love and passion for teaching the word? You know, what what is it that drives him every Sunday to, to get up there? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it sets John MacArthur apart from the average pastor in his generation. He's never really been interested in numbers. Uh, it was not his desire to build a humongous church or whatever. His goal was to get through as much of the New Testament as possible, and he made it through the whole thing. And I think he would have been happy to do that in a congregation of 200, if that's if that's what the Lord gave him. Uh, you'll hear him sometimes quote Spurgeon, who uh, who told a young guy who said, "It's it's like I can't get my church to grow." And Spurgeon's comment was maybe you're satisfied to have to give an account for the number of sheep you've got uh, instead of constantly wishing for a bigger crowd. Um, So I think that's a poisonous attitude that drives a lot of churches into kind of a a philosophy of pragmatism, where if you think the goal is to get as many people in the Sunday morning service as possible, and that's your primary goal, you're going to be strongly tempted to compromise your principles and your doctrine because you you you'll be shaving corners off the truth because you're afraid you'll run people mm. off when you're just trying to get a bigger crowd um and the thing i respect about john macarthur i think the very most is that he, he's just never thought like that he he's he looks at the word of god and says how can i make this as clear and uh persuasive as possible and that's what drives his preaching. And, you know, instead of running people off, it's drawn people here. And the reason I, I made this comment before we started recording, the reason Grace Church has remained the same size all these years, I think it would have grown significantly if 
we could have put in the balcony and and increased the parking, but we were surrounded by houses before the church had an opportunity to, you know, build bigger parking spaces. And so it's the size of the parking lots that has always limited the growth of Grace Church, but it's remained constant in the, all the 40 years I've been here. There's never been any significant increase or de decrease in the congregation size. It's full every wow. service, every Sunday morning. That's, that's tremendous. That's really, really good. Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining us and, um, and just encouraging these guys. I know this is going to be, this is going to be, it's, it's been encouragement to me. So I know it's going to be to them. And, and just trying to keep keep priorities straight and, and to keep our heads screwed on straight. Remember the real purpose of why we're here. So, Dan, anything, any other questions, comments? Well, um, I was just thinking, you know, being, being in your role there at Grace to You, over 50 employees, um, that um, you, you do the hiring for, uh, for Grace to You by and large. Is that, is that correct? Not necessarily personally. We have, uh, there are six or seven major departments within the ministry and the department heads would hire, would fill whatever positions okay. there are. So in it, with that kind of in mind, um, aside from a person's skill set, what, what do you look for when, when you're hiring someone? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it, it's almost like joining the church, we ask employees to read the doctrinal statement and sign off on it. If there's any significant disagreements, uh, we want to know about that. Uh, and they have to be substantially in agreement with the doctrinal statement. Obviously, all of the essentials they would have to affirm. There are, there are some secondary truths spelled out in our doctrinal statement that we might, you know, bend on if say say there's a seminary student who has presbyterian leanings and we're more baptistic that wouldn't necessarily disqualify him from working here but in general they need to be in in substantial agreement with our doctrinal statement and in fact we we require all of our employees to attend grace church we want them mm -hmm. if they're going to represent john macarthur in his media ministry they need to be people who sit under his teaching and know what he stands for. So that's a requirement for us. And that that sort of lays a foundation that after that, I'm only concerned about their skill set. If they're spiritually healthy, they have to be deacon qualified and sign the doctrinal statement and be, you know, members of regular attenders of Grace Church. Uh, then after that, we look at their skill set. That's good. And how, how many assistants um, or um, pastoral staff um, is there at Grace to you or at, uh, at Grace, uh, Grace Church. Church? Yeah, I'm not sure the exact number, but uh, I think on the paid staff there are at least a dozen guys who uh, who have the word pastor in their title. Okay, okay. Yeah. All of them, all of them would teach in some venue or another. When I say I'm a teaching pastor there, I I lead one of the adult Sunday school classes. We call them fellowship groups, but it's basically an adult Sunday school class. Mm -hmm. There are at least uh, 500 people on a typical Sunday morning in my class. So it's, it's a lot like pastoring a small church. Mm, sure. Yeah. It's a lot like pastoring yeah, a absolutely. medium church. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Phil, again, thank you so much, sir. And we just appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to be with us. Thanks for and having me.
it's been a real blessing. So 